end of life decisions. So heavy, but yet we all put it off. So today we're gonna to talk about seven common estate planning mistakes. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Uh, here's what I think is wonderful. I had no idea. No, where no, no. We're you did so go good. It, but here's what's awesome. You you joked even in pre-show about doing your test takes like, yeah, test, test, test. You literally just screamed that intro. We never. I'm gonna apologize for Reby because we never get the levels right. So that was it was good. Is but it, it because Reby came over and turned up? It's the, because the board? she's been twiddling the knobs. That's so did we is. peak? Did we did we clip? I, it's great though. I think it's good. I think it's rock and roll. Okay, let's cover. I want to jump right in. First of all, this is the Money Guy Show. Go to moneyguy.com. By the way, you see the counter up here. We are so close to reaching 30,000 subscribers on YouTube. That's remarkable, man. If you are going to subscribe to YouTube, make sure you ring the bell to let us know how much you like us. Um, kind of like you're going to a fast food restaurant. They ring the bell That's just right. to, to keep it going because we want you to get the notifications. You'll be always surprised at all the things we have coming because we have a lot of new content coming your way. We got Reby working the boards today. We got oh, da right. intern Daniel in the other room. So, I mean, you're going to see. There's a, we have more slides today to show you than we've ever had in the history of the Money Guy Show. That's right. But all you podcast listeners, because we haven't forgotten our roots, mm -hmm. we got you covered as well. So let's jump right in. The first thing I want to talk about before we got into the mistakes of estate planning. I want to talk about the big three of estate planning. Yeah, there there are, uh, are whenever you say estate planning, for anyone who kind of just is even a little bit in the know, there are some things that ought to immediately come to your mind. Yeah. And whenever we ask clients, hey, when was the last time you looked at your estate plan? We're really asking a different question and we're asking about these big three. These are the big three. And then we're going to cover, jump into the, the mistakes in a second. But the first is a will or trust. Mm -hmm. You guys know we, we basically bully you into getting this done correctly. Right. You got to let people know what you want done with your financial assets when you're not here to speak for yourself. And that's what a will or a living trust is going to allow you to do. And it's not even just your financial assets, right? So if you're someone who has young children in the house, this is the document you get drafted up that says, hey, who's going to be the person that takes care of my child, that raises my child? Who's going to be the person that helps with the financial management of that? Uh, so it's a really important document. You want to decide the things that are going to happen for your loved ones on this side of the grave, not the other. That's exactly right. So living will, um, last uh, will and last testament. So pay attention to that. And then the second thing is a healthcare directive. Oh, big one. Yep. Now these things, these come in two forms. You got your your proxy where you got a healthcare proxy where you're appointing somebody who's going to be making decisions on your for, on your behalf if you can't speak for sure. yourself, probably a loved one. Um, definitely a loved definitely one, not an enemy. <laughs> and then um, there's of I course just a random also stranger. living wills are important too. They're also directives that will tell you what you do and don't want done to That's you. Right. And, and I can share with you some personal experience I've had with that with some family members yep. as well. So we'll jump into that. And then the third one, this is the durable power of attorney. This is if you need somebody to step in and make financial decisions for you, do you have a financial power of attorney? That you, you need all three of these elements. That's right. What I think is interesting with the big three is we're about to jump in the mistakes and you'll find out that most people don't have all three. Yep. You might have the will, the la you know, 
but you don't have the healthcare directives or you don't have the financial power of attorney. So we want to make sure you know what all three of the big three are so you don't make that mistake. Here's another thing I thought was interesting on why estate planning is so important. There was an, a survey of estate planning professionals. So these are all your attorneys, attorneys out there. Yeah. Close to half, it was 46% said family conflict was the biggest threat to estate planning. So not not poor planning, not not investment, not market not volatility, market. tax reform, nothing right. nothing that you would think that's analytical. It's more of all the soft stuff that's of like dealing feeling. with your 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 family members and people fighting. And we've all experienced. I mean, we mm -hmm. I know we have you know clients that have passed away. We have people in our circle of of who we know, friends, and so forth, where you see family members right. fight as soon as someone passes away. So we want to kind of help you set things up so you don't have those uncomfortable That's situations right. occur. So let's kind of jump into the, the common estate planning mistakes. Well, so we sort of led with the very first one was talking about the big three. So I think one of the, one of the very first big mistakes that we see is not having the big three, not having those documents in order. And then I think even another caveat in there is not having those documents in order recently because yeah. we see that all the time. Well, there's all kinds of mistakes that happen with, you might have done a, a will 10 years ago when mm -hmm. you first had children, but you might have moved across state lines or now you have children that are adults. Or think about this, you had two children, then you had, oops, a third, oh, one, another one. third one came around and you don't even have that one named. Now, probably your will will have a provision that covers, but it's nice to actually have, especially the, the key players in your cast of characters right. and your family to be named directly in the will. So go ahead, Bo, Bo let's, let's talk about who is actually not preparing this. Look at the generational stuff. We, we just brought up a slide that just shows that, look at this. If you look at like the younger generation, the 18 to 34 year olds, 82% of them do not have wills. Yeah, and that's pretty remarkable because you, if you think about how much life happens in those early stages, I mean, a lot of the times by the time you get to 34, maybe you've started a family, mm -hmm. you've probably taken on some sort of debt, you've built some level of assets, you have stuff that you probably care about what happens to that stuff when you're not here any longer. No doubt. I mean, and just look at 63% of, of the people who are 35 to 54, I fall in there. Um, 47% for, for, for those now. that are 55 to 64. And then the last group is retirement age, which are people who are, you know, 65 plus. So at least more than half of those people who are over 55 are planning. But the problem I have is that if you look at the people who are that 18 to 54 years of age, there's a lot of parents lot in of that. Yep. And you can see that over half of them are not doing what they need to. So I want to talk about the the, the second mistake we see within the, the missing the big three sure. is exactly what you've already said, Bo, is, is having children but not leaving directions of what happens to them. Who's going to take care of them? Who's going to be in charge of the money that yep. you leave behind for the kids? So I want to give you a visual or something to think about. I have a 15-year-old, and I, th I thought about this because – when I turned 15 and then 16 and you go get your driver's license, right? I know we're both from Georgia. Uh huh. So you remember when you got your yep, driver's license, sure you did. went and sat. I remember we woke up so early. It was kind of like we were trying to get Rolling Stones tickets <laughs> just so we could get to the DMV to beat the line because we knew how inefficient it was. Right. That's how it was when I got my driver's license. My wife 
We took our 15-year-old. I kid you not, it was a four to five hour experience just taking Are you the, the learner's permit exam. So just to like get there. And it's not because line. the exam is 600 questions long. <laughs> it's because there's a lot of sitting on your hands waiting for them to call you in. So I want you to think, because what hit me was DMV in Georgia was kind of oh, you know, a slow experience. Right. We've moved to the state of Tennessee now. DMV experience in Tennessee, not much better. So this is not a state-specific issue, but it is just DMVs are not good anywhere, it seems like. They're not built as a customer experience, you know, a good client service experience for you. So I'm I'm totally lost right now, Brian. We're talking about the DMV and your 15-year-old getting her driver's license. Well, think about it. Who's in charge of the DMV for every state? It's the state government is in charge of every DMV. These same people that make you wait in line for four to five hours to take a learning permit exam right. are going to be the people that are going to determine who your kids go to. Because that's what happens. If you die without a will, there is a legal process set up by the state on where the children go, where the assets go. And I'm telling you, if you don't like waiting in line at the DMV, you're probably not going to like the experience you're going to have with how they distribute your assets and your loved ones. And, That's and, scary. And here, here's the thing. And, and if you guys are out there listening uh, just audibly, you're not actually in YouTube watching. We have a live chat that happens while we're doing the show on these live streams. Well, a very close friend of the Money Guy show, Ryan, he just mentioned this comment. I thought it was great. He says, hey, I'm stuck on the whole guardianship for kids thing. It's a really difficult choice. Yeah. It's a really, you're right. It is a hard, hard, hard question to answer. It's a hard conversation to have. But as hard as it is for you and your wife or your significant other, your spouse to have that conversation, imagine how much more difficult it would be if well, you, you weren't there speak. to weigh in. You yeah. can't speak for yourself. Put relatives at odd. I mean, that's yep. basically like a, a cage match between the two different sides of the the parents. I mean, that's horrible. And then also, I think it also comes back to the money. Who's going to actually decide, you know, who can do what, when, and how to spend? If you don't have guidance, there's always going to be some guilt. There's going to be some uncertainty. That's right. It's just a disaster. So don't do that. Here, you know, the money guy take is, is that you got to make sure that you're planning ahead for those things. Another one I thought was interesting, all my single people, Oh, yeah. yeah that sounds yeah, like a rap almost. Um, like I was about to step into a, a rap song. Did the money guy just all turn into Beyonce? People, did he just do Beyonce? <laughs> no, it's not all the single ladies. But all my single money guy family members, you're probably thinking, I don't need estate documents because, you know, who's counting on what I've got? You know, I, I just, I'm going to leave this thing clean. I don't have kids. Right. I'm not married. What does it matter? Right. Well, here's what the problem is. It, it's not always death. Maybe you are in a, a, an accident and you need a healthcare directive sure. for somebody to make a decision. And you probably do have loved ones right. that you want to be speaking for you. But there's a good chance as a single person that the hospital might not even let whoever you want to be there. They're not even going to honor that they should be there because right. maybe they're not related to you yep. or they're not married to you. And then how, who's going to speak for you on where things should go mm-hmm. you know, or what your desires are if you're not here to speak for yourself? I think it's even more complex sometimes for single people than for people who just have a spouse because the system just defaults to the spouse. So, and I can, I can already hear, I can hear the Money Guy audience literally saying this to us now. Okay, yeah, I'm single or maybe my situation is super simple. And I know that things in my life are going to change. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to have more assets. I don't want to go see an attorney right now, spend sure. all this money, have all these documents drawn up, and then have to change them. That's okay. We have a solution. We have an order of operations that you should think about when it comes to getting the big three in order. Yeah, what we talked about is kind of the money guy way on this is 
first is perfectly fine. Now, look, it might not be completely supported legally, but at least let your desires be known. You can write on a sheet of paper your wishes, your desires, sign and date it. Like I said, it might not hold up in court of law, but at least your loved ones will know what your desires were. That's step one if you're just... I know here's something I got caught in between. When we moved from Georgia to Tennessee, I was worried my wife and I were going on an international trip. I had not updated the estate documents at that time. I wrote out a really quick, I pulled it down. You can pull this stuff down from the internet, guys. It's really simple. Pulled down a big, quick guardianship thing that I left behind in case something Something happened happened to us with an airplane or, or so forth. But so you, that's, that's step one of order of operation. You do something as simple as sign and date your your wishes. Yep. Number two is bowler plate online. There's all kind of services online where you can just do a guardianship or create the will with the guardianship as some some basic simple estate planning. Right. Just use the bowler plate through some one of those online resources. And then of course number three is as soon as you have any complexity or you start having assets in your name, um, that's a substantial amount of money. Yep. You probably should hire an attorney. Don't Save that penny. It's was it penny wise. I was about to say penny wise and pound foolish. Yeah, I mean right. it's it's the truth of the matter because and when I when I talk about any type of complexity, think about if you have a mixed family. Mm-hmm. If you you know you have children from a previous marriage, you're about to marry somebody who's got children from a previous marriage, or maybe they don't have any kids, but right. still it's going to be a mixed marriage. And the fact that you got previous kids, got large assets, if you got some weird you know that there's just your family's kind of doesn't get along and you know that no matter what happens somebody's gonna be ticked off and probably sue somebody right. you probably need to have an attorney that way when you're not able to speak for yourself you know it's gonna at least be okay so mistake number one you want you have to make sure you have the big three and then and then don't it's not just a one-time set it and forget it make sure that you're continually going back and reviewing them if things in your life change Uh, Maybe there are marriages, divorces, childbirths, other things that happen either with you or people that are referenced in your estate documents. You need to make sure that you update that. So don't let this just be something that sits in the box uh, and never gets looked at again. And the move, because I don't think we, you know, I want to say that again. As soon as you move across a new state into a new state, got to update those estate documents. So let's move on to number two. Not having life insurance. Yeah, this is another, I would say a biggie. Yeah. A biggie, biggie. I mean, because think about it. What is life? What what are we trying to? What are we worried about when we leave the earth early or become disabled or, or something? It's lost income to pay bills. Yeah, what about the ones we leave behind? That's right. Debt that is unpaid, and then life goals that are unfunded. That's not as college for the kiddos as well as making th- sure that your spouse isn't just like destitute because you left. Right. So how do we if if we're in, on the great path of building financial independence and saving? But we just haven't had enough time elapse where we could build financial independence. What can be the bridge to get us there? It's life insurance. And yeah. here's what I can't understand is, is, you know, we're talking about it and it sounds so simple, but we've got some statistics that say a lot of people just don't do it. Because I think everyone would say, yeah, if, I, if something happened to me, I'd want my husband or my wife or my children to be taken care of. We all know that we want it there, yet people don't implement that. So there's got to be a reason why they don't. So listen to these two stats. 41% of Americans do not have any life insurance. So that's not that's less than half, but it's getting pretty close to half. And then of that 41% that don't have life insurance, here's a big takeaway. 83% of Americans who don't have life insurance think they do need it, but they don't have it because it's either too confusing 
or they perceive it as too expensive. Now that first one really sticks in my craw yeah. because it doesn't have to be expensive. What's unfortunate, I mean, it doesn't have to be complicated. What's unfortunate is our, it doesn't have to be expensive either, by the way. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Our industry has made it complicated. Yeah. The financial industry has made something that should be so easy, so common sense, and they've bastardized it to where now, yeah, it's hard to go out there and navigate well, what do I need? And there's all these different types and how much and how long. It's really frustrating. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the financial industry, I feel like they do try to spin your head, get mm -hmm. you spun up, make it feel seem complex so that they can justify additional fees and other things. Right. So we're here to kind of help you cut through it. So let's talk about this. I think a good term policy is well worth the bridge that it creates on getting you to financial independence and making sure that your family and loved ones aren't left holding the bag yep. if you leave the earth early. And let's give you, to give you some context here, a $1 million 20 year term policy. We chose 20 year because you're probably looking at this, if you've got kids that are like three years old, mm -hmm. in 20 years, if you fast forward 20 years in the future, when, they're, when your youngest is 23 years of age, they're probably graduating college. Hopefully they're Hopefully out of the if house. you're, you know, if you're if you have children that of that age, you're probably in your 30s, maybe by the time you're in your mid 50s, late 50s, getting close to 60, you're hopefully going to have some financial independence built up. So at least 20 years term, and you can go longer. This is just an easy sure. one to pull an illustration on. $1 million 20-year term policy for a 30-year-old male, $387 a year. That's not a month. Not a month. Not a month. That's a year. Right. $1 million for $387. A 30-year-old female, it's even cheaper because, uh, you know, actuarials tell us they go a little, a little bit longer, longer. Right. $310. So you're like, well, that's a 30-year-old. Sure, they're going to be around for 20 years. How about a 40-year-old? You know, because a 40-year-old, 20 years, that puts getting, them up to that's 60. That's getting up there in age. So a male 40-year-old can get a million dollars of insurance for around $600 a year. Still less than less than $1,000 a year, still in three digits. It's just not. Now realize this is term. This is not something with cash value because we're going we're to we're try to get the insurance as cheap as possible. We want coverage so that we can use the rest of our money to fund all those life goals, including building financial independence, so that when you do get to 20 years in the future, you truly are financially independent, yep. can self-insure. The 40-year-old female, I didn't give the uh, number, was $509. So you can quickly see this stuff is affordable. So, Bo, if we know it's affordable, give them some, some guidelines or some rules to kind of consider. What's the money guy solution Yeah, the money guy take is it, it's, really, it's really easy to at least start the conversation around life insurance. A really easy rule of thumb is 10 times your annual income, right? Yeah. So if you're somebody who makes $50,000 a year, you might want to think about getting a term policy for $500,000. Now, there are other things that will impact that, like your debt, what your ultimate wishes are, what your career trajectory is. All of those things affect that, but it's a really good starting point. Uh, I think it's so funny, and this was one of the questions that we have, and uh, this came through on the live chat. It says, well, how about statistics like people that have life insurance, they don't end up needing it? Yeah. I think in that situation, I don't know anyone who ever made it to the end of their term and went through it and was like, man, I didn't die. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. You're kind of protecting in the thing that you hope doesn't happen. You're going to be much happier about a low-cost insurance policy that you didn't use than some really high, expensive insurance policy that you never used. Yeah, and, and realize, I don't want to go into too much of a sidebar, but those, all those policies that have cash value will say that you could, at this point in the future, you just start using, you could borrow off that cash value to get access to it tax-free. The problem you worry about when you get access to those cash value money is you might blow the policy up and create a huge tax liability. That's, we could get yep. deeper into it, but I like term is because you have a, you have a term period of concern and risk 
that you're trying to ensure. And you're hoping that if you do the right steps, that you're going to be truly financially independent. That's right. And a lot of the, the kids are going to leave. You're going to have money saved. So the risk is actually going to diminish over time. Yep. So why not let that just lapse or go away? You know, I have some term policy. I'm getting old enough now that um, I yeah, had some 20-year policies that I bought in my 20s that are getting close to reach the 20 year. I'm just, I'm going to keep paying the low premium on it. And are you, are you upset that those policies didn't no, but pay out? I know that when they reach the full 20 year term, that it's not like the insurance goes away, by the way. It's just, they're going to send me a renewal notice where instead of it being $20 a month, you know, like I'm used uh-huh. to paying $240 a year, it's going to, they're going to send me a bill for probably $1,500. Right. I'm like, no, thank you, but no, thank you. And I just won't, I'll, I'll cancel the policy at that point. Um, so it's number three. It, this is what I call a do-it-yourself blunder. Yep. Is adding your name to a parent's account. And I know how this goes down because I've had relatives mm-hmm. that call me up. Thank God they call me up, though, to at least ask before. They, they measure twice, cut once. Sure. It's like, man, mom's getting a little bit older. You know, I'd like to have access to her checkbook so that in case I can make sure the power is paid That's every right. month, I can make sure, you know, that just nothing's slipping through and, the cracks. And I don't want anybody to take advantage of her. Yeah. So if I'm on the account, I, I can at least account. see what's going on. So this is it, it, all good intentions. All this is really yep. good stuff. The problem is here, let me tell you what the problem is if you just do this, the do it yourself simple band aid method is you walk into the bank and say, I need a Ma or Pa's account. And the bank will be so happy to just add you. Sure. You'd think that they'd give you a disclaimer and be like, you sure you want to do this? They don't. They just put you on the account usually. And what I always, when they come to me and they tell me they've done this, I'm like, oh, well, we might have created a problem. Right. Because think about it. If you have, because it's not uncommon as people get older, they have more cash mm-hmm. than they might have had when they're in their 20s and 30s because they're, they're a little more concerned about liquidity. They're concerned about sleeping good at night. And as well as we've told you, even cash reserves, when you're working three to six months, mm-hmm. you just choose, am I closer, if I was unemployed, would it take me three months to get a job or is it six months? Right. When you actually retire, you might have three years worth of cash yeah. just to keep you peace of mind. Yeah. So it's going to be a chunk of money. So if you had parents that had, let's just say it's $100,000 in a joint account, I mean, just an individual, individual account, account, you go slap your name on it. Guess what you just created? Now that you're a joint tenant on this account, they just gifted you fifty thousand dollars. It's a pretty significant thing that does happened. the government let you gift fifty thousand uh, dollars? Not generally. Nope. Not without reporting it on a form seven oh nine because you're only supposed to do fifteen thousand dollars a year. So you created a gift tax solution without just because you wanted to help Ma or Pa pay their monthly bills. That's just, a disaster. You just called out the form number. You know how awesome of a CPA flex that was that he just pulled that out. I, Bo, I, st- I did this for many years. We're going on two decades. I can throw some numbers out. And, you know, and, and, and the thing is that I don't like is that I get it because the research shows 58% of Americans are helping their parents with some form of household chores or duties. So and, this is all so good. And it's all well-intended, the yep. reason people do this. And, and a lot of times, even the parents will ask you, hey, I, I just want you to be on my account. I, so got, I, I got that call yesterday. This, this is... One of our dear, dear clients, I was okay. telling her, she, I consider her ground floor because the enterprise was not guaranteed to be, uh, you know, 
effective or, or successful at the then. time back when she signed up. Well, she's now getting to the point where still super healthy, great, but she's got a super successful son that's an attorney. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I just like to give him a, a look under the hood, let him just know what's going right. on. So we're setting that up. And that's, that leads to the money guy solution. Cause I do think good, effective communication is yep. good, but let's talk about the money guy solution is the better way to gain access to accounts is you could set up a revocable trust. Yep. I mean, you could totally do that, or you could set up a power of attorney. You know, there's, or you could just get account, you know, view privileges. Yep. I mean, there's all kind of things you can do without changing the actual ownership of the without account, without changing the titling of the account and creating unintended consequences. Right. So just measure twice, cut once. We want you to be involved with your parents, especially as they get older. But you just got to make sure you do it right, and that's a great transition point to the next one, which is. This one ties in on the other side of it is that usually as as your parents get older, they're going to start worrying that, oh my goodness, you know, if I got sick or I got Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. my assets could just start disappearing because I, of care. I, yeah, I got I to gotta get so this stuff out Medicaid, of my Medicaid, you know, I, I've heard about this. Yeah, I, want, I want the government to pay. If yeah. I could get the government to pay for my care instead of me paying for it, Maybe I just need to get rid of some of these assets right. so that I actually will qualify for something down the road because I just don't want to spend it all away. This is what the setup is that I hear. So what's the do-it-yourself solution? Is we'll just start giving away things. Yep. We'll start giving away assets. You just start Wait, gifting it, it to get real it estate. It could be appreciated stock. And it dry. I mean, this is this is a pet peeve. This one crawl gets in my crawl a little bit because I kid you not, I have seen situations. Because realize we're from Atlanta, mm-hmm. so it's either Coca Cola or it's Aflac, Home Depot, or Home Depot. Yeah, um, you know, so you know, and I'm sure I could name off a few others. But you'll see people as they're getting older, and then you find out they just start giving assets to their loved ones, right. and you're like, well, that, that's noble. Again, well intended. Their goal is to, to, to share their assets. But you realize that Coca Cola stock that's now worth a million dollars that Ma. Grandma gave to Ma, and now because there's so much in taxes, she can't sell, sell it or it, get right. rid of it. All she can do is donate it or give it down to the kids. Yep. So this, you have this legacy where the million-dollar stock that Grandma bought for $20,000 a gazillion years ago, you're like, how are we ever going to sell this thing? Or, you know, we only can donate so yep. much at a year. The solution is, truthfully, a lot of these highly appreciated securities – you should die with it That's right. because you get what's called a step up in basis. Exactly right. So I always tell people, and here's the money guy solution on this is give cash as gifts, mm-hmm. die with appreciated holdings. I know that is the coldest thing in the world to hear, but it is true because think about it. If, you, if you've got assets that have a basis of 20 grand and now it's worth a million bucks and you die with it, guess what? Your beneficiaries inherit it at a million dollar basis same thing with real estate if you've got i had this discussion with the same client is that we were talking about the fact that they have some land and she's like i just don't know what to do with this land anymore i don't know if i should just go ahead and sell it all right i said what do do you do you need the money no well is it worth a lot of money yeah i think it's worth a chunk of money now i was like I said, this is going to sound cold, but it might be something you just do nothing with and, it's, and pass away with it because the basis is so low, your kids could inherit exactly it and right. not have any tax liability yep. whatsoever. And then they can make the decision of what to do with it tax-free. Yep. So the, the big mistake is not uh, not understanding how step-up and basis works. And I'm just going to throw a little pro tip in there only because we're dealing with this with a client right now. If you have 
uh, a parent who maybe is older, has had some success, and they work with an advisor, they have a team who's helping them with their financial accounts, make sure you understand the transactions that are taking place in their accounts. Uh, we have a lot of clients who have uh, very healthy accounts who've had some really solid performance, and a lot of that stuff it just doesn't make sense to hold. Grandma does not need to be selling her Home Depot stock. If you have an advisor who is selling it, it just might be a red flag. You want to make sure you understand that because it's not efficient from a tax planning You're standpoint. You're saying that, it, that you called it, it, they have churn, meaning That's that right. you're turning over assets that maybe there's no need for exactly to be right. better instead of churning or turning those assets over. Now, look, there's always purpose for diversification, dialing down risk. But if you know that this person has more money than they're probably going to distribute during their lifetime, you got to think about these long-term tax planning. Do not take a short-term solution that has a huge long-term impact that you just hangs over you like a black cloud. I love it. Right. Um, let's talk about number five. This is a mistake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, look, guys. I was so excited. This is pre-show planning. I told everybody that I was so worried about doing an estate planning show that I was like, we need to put some pictures of puppies, flowers, and all kind of sweet things, essentially unicorns and rainbows. Uh -huh. Oh, Benjamin Button Downer over here didn't want to have anything like that. So I was like, okay, after we got through with our team meeting, I was like, put the slide in. And um, it was we buried it deep enough that he wasn't supposed to see it. Um, but it if he didn't in pre-show come in here like Mr. Measure twice, cut once, flip through every slide, and he saw it. And I was di really disappointed. This was supposed to be a shock and awe moment. But see, here's what, here's what I realized is, is Brian, he actually inserted this into the perfect part. Because number four was giving away highly appreciated assets, the things that you value a whole lot, the things that mean the most to you. And so Brian wanted to put up a picture of his favorite things. So I value that, <laughs> and I am so thankful. I will tell you, that one dog, I thought that was a costume at the bottom, right? That dog looks like a bunny. And those are just his cute ears. I mean, that's awesome. And then Bo does bring it all in. You see that you're right in the middle holding it all together. I like to tie it all together. All right, number five. Number five. For everyone who listens in iTunes is going to be like, what in the world were they just talking about? To go to I got to go watch this on YouTube. Out. Not knowing how wills and beneficiaries work together. This is, I think people, one of the things that cracks me up is you get so proud of yourself because you've, done, you've gone and you hired an attorney and you've done an estate plan. You're like, all done. You know, let's go celebrate. And then I think people are shocked when, when they talk to somebody like us. And I'm like, well, you realize, like, beneficiary designations, they usurp. They, they kind of overrule what's in your will. Right. So if you have, and it's not even, like, only beneficiary designations. Like, if you have a joint account with a spouse or a loved one, mm -hmm. and it's with rights of survivorship, W-R-O-S, written mm -hmm. as joint, J-T-W-R-O-S, that's joint tenants with rights of survivorship. I don't care what's in your will. All that person that's on that account with you is going to have to do when you pass away is go and take a death certificate yep. to the institution, and then they will gladly transfer all assets and title and, and change the registration on it to whoever's listed on that account. Yep. So, And that might be a great thing. It's just that you need to understand that's how it will work. It's the same life insurance. It's going to have a beneficiary designation. All your retirement accounts, your 401k, your IRAs, your Roth IRAs, all those things go out beneficiary designations. If you don't know how wills and designations work, you could have a complete blowing up of your estate plan. Yeah, you know, I think the big thing that we and we see this all the time, Brian. We'll ask a brand new prospect, a brand new client, "Hey, when did you have your estate documents?" Like, oh, I just did that last two years. Had them done. I've got my big three. I get to check that money guy box. 
if these two pieces aren't working together, you're missing a huge piece of it. Because once you get the estate documents done, the very next thing you should do is go make sure all your beneficiary designations align with the plan that's outlined in your well, estate Well, I, I thought it was, you and I use the same estate attorney here in Tennessee. Yep. And I thought it was great. In addition to asking for how the will, you know, the will was drafted, then we said, hey, give us the recommendations on how this list of assets, we took it. Remember, you're supposed to be giving your estate attorney uh, your net worth statement right. so they can then say, give me the, how you want the beneficiaries set up with all these trusts on these IRAs. And, and a good chance is it's still going to be your spouse is the primary, but the contingent could be something completely right. different to make sure it ties into your estate planning. So just make sure you understand how those things work together. Right. Number six, and this one I told Bo in pre-show planning, we got to make sure we move on this one because this list got longer than yep. I thought it would. This is just common paperwork mistakes. And, you know, and the first one is just seems so obvious, but I see it. You go do a great estate plan and then you keep it a secret. Oh, yeah. That's you put it, it in a safety deposit box and nobody knows how to get to it. So you either pass away or you get sick and your health care directives, your proxies, they're all hidden away. Nobody knows what your desires are that's because right. you did the estate documents and then hit it. You didn't tell that's anybody. a paperwork that's mistake. Right. Because you didn't let people know what's going on. And, you know, one of the things we see all the, and unfortunately, we have a number of uh, clients whose parents have passed away, or maybe the, the parent, actually, this never happens with our clients, but this is with their parents. They'll pass away and they'll find three or four different wills, last mm -hmm. will and testaments. And now, fortunately, attorneys have gotten really good about dating and dating every page, so you know yep. what pages go with what. But that's a problem. If you have this document, let someone know where it is and where it's supposed to be so they can find it. Real quick, I want to share, because I know we have to get through these. Healthcare directives. My father-in-law, who's deceased, mm -hmm. um, had, I mean, it was unfortunate because he was in great health. He was in his early 80s, played golf once a week, went and had just a basic shoulder surgery. Mm -hmm. Complication from the surgery with, um, got pneumonia, and unfortunately started having a lot of issues. This right. was just an elective procedure that went really bad. My mother-in-law, sweet, sweet mother-in-law, was having so much trouble knowing what to do and what not to do to respect Jim. Because I will tell you, I realized very quickly with my father-in-law, medical science can keep us alive when we're not really right, here anymore. Right, right, they right. have We have re now reached the point that they can feed you, they can breathe for you. Yep. So essentially, your body can just keep running. And I, she was truly distressed on what to do because she loved this man so much. Fortunately, I mean, I kid you not, this was, it was almost like it was forgotten. And then she realized where the healthcare directives were and the living, you know, and it actually, Jim had listed what he did and did, did not, not want. want to have happen, yeah. And that, and just having that direction gives her so much peace of mind. So it's not only are your wishes followed, but I will tell you, your loved one that is left here on this planet after you leave is going to have much more peace of mind versus when you get in that gray zone with healthcare of what you actually wanted to have. So please do not pay attention to the healthcare directives. And, and I'm just going to throw one other thing in there because it was talking about keep, keeping it a secret. If there are people in your estate documents that you are asking to do things, like serve as the executor, executor like trustee. serve as the guardian, like serve as a trustee, make sure they know about that. Mm -hmm. No one really wants that to be a surprise. surprise. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> your, your family You're just You're going to see what number seven is in a minute and know why surprise is not always good. Um, I want to keep these going though, real quick. Not recording step ups and bases. If you have, if you have a loved one pass away, and you know they are sitting on property that one day is going to be the biggest shopping center in the state, or is going to be a great development site, or is going to be a residential development, 
when people pass away with highly appreciated holdings, go get an appraisal. I am shocked that seven years goes by. People then put their house, you know, the real estate under contract. And you're like, well, what's the basis in this? Well, I got it when I inherited it from my parent. Did you go get an appraisal? No, we didn't go get an appraisal. I'm like, well, man, we're going to have some trouble figuring out how much this is tax-free. That's right. When all you had to do was go get an appraisal of death. So that's a paperwork mistake. Go get a real estate appraisal. It's cheap. It's three or 400 bucks typically, and you will put a line in the sand on what things are worth. Now, with investment accounts, it's a little bit easier because they're, they're priced daily if you're investing in normal stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. But we see this all the time where maybe the step up doesn't happen when the account transfers and then the account transfers to somewhere else and somewhere else, and then it never actually gets recorded. Well, there's a bunch of tax benefit that just washed away into yep. nowhere. Make sure that you're, make, that you're getting those numbers updated as you work through settling someone's estate. Um, outdated beneficiary designations. Oh yeah. This is this is bad stuff. Is that you know you could have a mistake on there. You could have an ex-wife on there, yeah, a yep. spouse. Um, you could have somebody who's already predeceased. Right. You know that they died earlier than you thought they would. Or, or um, maybe, or maybe we see this all the time: the difference in per capita and per stirpes. Exactly. You might have left something. Are you psychic? Because we didn't even have that in the show notes, and I wrote it on there. I like it. Look yeah. right here. Look, yeah, we just did that right there. <laughs> yeah, right. So you might want to leave something to your kids. Well, then some grandkids come to the picture. Well, your wishes amongst how your assets flow might change once the grandbabies enter into the picture. So you just want to make sure that you're keeping that stuff updated. Um, we had talked about not open, updating asset ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the things when we did our estate plans, same estate attorney, Bo, yep. please understand joint tenants with rights of survivorship. Like I said, that's going to transfer. All you need is a death certificate yep. versus joint tenants in common. The mm-hmm. TIC then makes it where at least you can now separate out the ownership interest and let that estate plan do a little more of the heavy lifting for right. you. Um, not updating your health care power of attorney or durable power of attorney because those things need to be updated and active at all times. Um, not creating a net worth statement. Oh, that, no, there is nothing worse than grandma passes away and everybody looks at each other and they call the they call like the you know the children will have a financial advisor, the adult children will have a financial advisor. Mom passes away and they're like they call me up and they're like you know, what do we do? And I'm like, well, do you have a net worth statement so I can at least see what they have in assets? And they're like, nope. I'm like, how about a tax return? Let's start with a tax That's, return yeah. and I can at least back into what they have. Have a net worth statement so you're at least everybody knows what you have going on. Right. Um, Bo, you'd mentioned this one. Keeping utilities in, in a deceased loved one's name? Yeah, so I see this a lot of times with so, some aged clients or aged family and friends. Uh, the utility bill might have been in the husband's name for the last 40 years, and then the husband passes away, and so they just keep paying it. Well, the utility company doesn't reach out and say, hey, is this person still alive? Yeah. You just need to make sure that you update who is on record for those types of services, because so long as you're paying them, generally speaking, they'll, they'll keep letting you pay them. Yeah, and it, it, that, you know, a lot of times when you pass away, part of the, the, the probate process is that they're going to publish in a, the paper— mm-hmm. If for creditors to reach out, and if no, nobody reaches out, the, the debt kind of just goes That's away. Right. So if you've got credit cards and debts with deceased people, please make sure that you, you talk to somebody to make sure that we get rid of the things. You can shed the things and not have obligations that you shouldn't have. That's all paperwork related. Yep. Just got to do it right with your estate planning. Number seven. Now, and I don't want to, because all of these are big mistakes. I don't even know if we can say that one mistake is the biggest mistake of them all. 
But if there was one that was the biggest, this would be close to one or two, I feel like. It's definitely something to think about. So, so flip over to seven, and I want you to read, because we actually got feedback from somebody in the Money Guy family on this. Yep, so this is uh, really, really interesting. This is a comment from YouTube. This is from Elizabeth, and she said, Everyone thinks that executorship is an honor. I say it is for the person that you like the least. <laughs> My mother-in-law died intestate, that means without a will, and insolvent. A neighbor used a key to go in and take things. We had no idea who knew her well and who we should contact about her death. So I had to cold call her entire handwritten phone book that went back decades. Can you visualize this? I mean, this does not sound fun. With an infant and toddler crying in one ear and people I did not know crying in the other who did not have the sense to let me off the phone and just wanted to tell me stories about her, this was hours of torture. All the legwork involved in tracking down accounts, debtors, spending hours on the phone and doing paperwork is a horrid legacy to leave someone. If you can afford to do so, pay a lawyer or financial advisor to be your executor. And this is coming from someone with a background in banking. So that, Elizabeth, that is one solution. But, but I think maybe a better solution might be get your stuff in order so that your executor has a nice, neat thing to walk This into. is the horror story. I mean, it really is. The number seven, because I, I didn't end up reading it out loud, was leaving a hot mess for your family and beneficiaries. And Elizabeth said it right. That is a horrible legacy. Yep. Yeah, I think most of us, when we daydream about if we're leaving the planet, what is our hope and prayer for what will be here after we're gone? We're hoping that we do leave some type of legacy yep. so that we're remembered by loved ones. This is not the memory that you're trying to create. Now, I think, think it's interesting. Intern Daniel... He'll probably always be intern Daniel. I love picking on Even poor Daniel. Even when he's full-time Daniel, he's still going to be he intern Daniel. He created a slide that I thought was spectacular. So, so show this one, Bo. He found some research that the average executor spends 570 hours settling an estate. That that number by itself just kind of blew my mind. By the way, I don't want everybody who's listed as an executor out there, because I know I'm listening on a few loved ones, it's not, it doesn't have to be like That's this right. if you do everything we talked about on these seven mistakes and fix these things, but it can be this bad if you neglect the responsibilities of what you should be doing. So what we told intern Daniel, we said, intern Daniel, uh, 570 hours, that's a hard thing to get our head wrapped around. We want you to find some <laughs> real life examples of what you can do in 570 hours. And this is what he came up with. He said, work a full-time job for three and a half months. Well, he's an intern, a summer intern right now, so I wonder how he came up with three and a half months. That's kind of funny. Uh, he said that you could walk from New York City to Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know how fast or slow that walk would be. I have to calculate that out. That's, that's definitely probably slower than Forrest Gump. Though. Yeah, I, I think I think what he said is this involved, that you got some time for sleeping and bio breaks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this one, bio I thought Bio breaks, was, is that a fancy way of uh, yeah, potty breaks? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you just make that up? <laughs> no, I have, I have some buddies who say that. <laughs> I'd like to take credit for it, but I can't because they listen to the show. Yeah. Uh, watch every episode of Friends six times. Wouldn't have guessed that. I don't even know how many episodes of Friends there are. I don't know. Uh, uh, you can watch. Intern Daniel does. Uh, intern uh, Daniel certainly does. Uh, or you could drive around the entire circumference of the earth. Like, you assuming know, you had a James Bond hover car. Yeah, right, there's a bridge or, yes. Yeah, so, Intern Daniel, there's there's a lot of other things you could do with your time besides settling The big state. thing I take from this is this is optional. This is just like, it used to be one of those things when I first got into financial planning, back when estate taxes were a big deal, back when like the exemption was 675 versus like over $11 million or $22 million for a couple. And we used to tell people, you know, estate taxes are optional right. if you just do the right planning. It's the same thing with this 570 hours of settling an estate. I had, unfortunately, 
one of my dearest, dearest clients, it was one, it was actually one of the parents of one of my childhood best friends, passed away in the last two or three weeks. Right. And I've already talked to him. I said, we're going, we've got this. We're going to crank this out. We'll have the estate closed out before year end. Sure. It's not going to take 570 hours. It doesn't take three and a half months three to five months working full-time. Right. That's just, that's a disaster. So if you don't want to leave your loved ones with this mess and, and leave them with that burden, start getting your stuff in order now so that your executor can step into that role and do it well. I want to give you another example. This is real-world, true story mm -hmm. type stuff because we see all types of things doing yep. what we do for a living. I kid you not that we had a client bring in their, their older mother and... The whole purpose of this meeting was for her to kind of let us know that banking and the system was safe enough because I kid you not, she had over $200,000 of cash hidden in her house. And, I'm talking curtain rods. That's right. Yeah, not, not hidden like in a safe, like not hoarding paper, no. like actually hidden. Rolled up into curtain rods, stuffed into to coat pockets yep. and dress pockets and these type of things, I'm telling you, you have some quirky way. Maybe you're a prepper and you got money hidden all over the places or even buried in the backyard. Please tell somebody right. yep. because what nothing I, you see these stories every now and then they'll pop up in your 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 news feed where somebody found something that was priceless, mm -hmm. you know, a piece of art. But there's also stories. Imagine how many dry cleaners that are given donations that probably find money oh, I'm that sure. are just hidden. Because that's a jewelry. It doesn't have to just be cash. It can be jewelry. People try to hide stuff because they're worried about if they get broken into. What's a good hiding place? They just ditch it somewhere in that's their right. closet yep. somewhere. So be careful with that type of stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of... Oh, here's another one. When you're the executor, be careful because there's always... And I'm just going to speak in generalities. I'm not trying to be mean. But if you have multiple siblings... One's the executor, probably the responsible one, but there might be other siblings, and there's always going to be one that's like, I need the money I yesterday. I kind of go, I need the money. Yeah, yeah, you know, mom, dad passed away. They I They would have the wanted money. me to have it. They want me to have my portion as fast as possible. And you love your sibling, even though they're horrible with money. You love your sibling, so you want to give them the money. Do not, do not distribute assets until you figure out everything with the estate, because that is a big no-no, because you might get in a situation after you settle taxes, after you settle creditors, after you settle expenses, that you might have given that person too much money. And yep. you know if they're the sibling that is the worst with the money, it's a one-way street. Right. So just make sure that you get that distribution uh, as the executor. Don't do it on the front end. Make sure you understand that should be kind of one of the last steps you do in that process. Sure. Yep. So, Bo, we just went through a huge list. Yep. I know we have a summary because, you know, that people, and by the way, sign up, go to moneyguy.com, give us your email address. We do send out deliverables. That's right. So uh, some of these very deliverables you've seen, seen now, some worksheets. If you like the things that you see, make sure that you are on our email list so we can get them in your hands. Because here's the thing about estate planning. It is hard losing a loved one, yeah. right? It, it, it's difficult just to deal with the emotional turmoil of someone very important in your life not being there any longer. Um, it becomes exponentially more difficult if you're the person who has to deal with the emotional burden of that, but also the financial burden of no putting doubt. all the pieces together. And I mm -hmm. think you said it best. That's not the legacy that you want to leave behind. Yeah. So if you can do the right things and make sure you avoid 
these seven estate planning mistakes, you're gonna set up your loved ones for a legacy where they're gonna remember all the good stuff, not just the last stuff. And those seven mistakes are number one, not having the big three docs. Number two, not having life insurance. Number three, adding your name to a parent's account. Number four, gifting highly appreciated assets. Number five, not knowing how wills and beneficiaries work together. Number six, uh, making paperwork mistakes that are just not needed. And number seven, leaving a hot mess for your family and your beneficiaries. I mean, guys, I know this sounds simple, but I am always shocked when you hear the stat that 80% of people don't have the big three docs. Mm -hmm. So that means there's a lot of room in this list that a lot of us probably fall into. So go just check this out. I think this is something that maybe is a little dark to talk about, but I promise you, I'd rather you have that dark conversation now versus being one heck of a pickle if you don't make these type of decisions. Uh, we have tons of questions that are coming through in the live chat. If you're someone out there listening on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, one of those mediums, and you don't have a chance to come watch the live stream, you really should give it a shot because we have a live chat that happens during the live stream. And now when we turn off the recording, we're actually going to stay on and we're going to answer questions. We are going uh, to let you guys ask us questions. We're going to answer them in real time and we'll probably even give away some swag that you can't even buy in stores. There's only one way to get these and you got to be here every other Tuesday night to be able to get one. And then last thing, you're probably like, wow, this was some great free information. I can't believe these guys are just straight up giving this away. You're like, how can they do that? It's We call this the abundance cycle. You come here, we just load you up with free information. I want you to learn, apply, become successful. And this is going to reach a point where you're going to be so successful, you go, I just don't feel comfortable doing this on my own anymore. That's when the aha moment of the abundance cycle is going to reach you. And you'd be like, oh yeah, those guys gave me all that free advice. Maybe I'll give those guys a call because we do work with clients. I had Carter tell me we had somebody in South Dakota that's right on the verge. So we're close to being in 40 states, 39 states. We're right there. So almost the entire country. So we'd love to talk to you about that so you can experience what the abundance cycle is, but also become part of the money guy as well as the abound wealth family. So guys, we have a blast. I have my timer. I think we're about five to six minutes longer than I'd like, but it definitely kept me in better check. So thank you so much for the feedback. Thank you for subscribing on YouTube. Thank you for listening to us for all those years on the podcast. We appreciate you guys immensely. I'm your host, Brian Preston, Mr. Bo Hansen. We'll see you soon. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Mm-hmm.